This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. What if you could sit with an art master and learn to create a piece of art that uniquely captures your personality or the soul of your business? What if you commissioned the artist to create a wonderful, personal, and beautiful work of art for you? How might you be inspired? Here's what Michael Schwartz of the Integral Art Gallery says about the artwork of our guest, Louis Parsons. Astonishing, abstract paintings that sing the infinite songs of spirit manifesting on the radiant cusp of form and formlessness. The painting technique is sophisticated, replete with complex weaves of staining the canvas, thin washes, thicker brushwork, and impassioned impasto, such that the work materials are a symphony in their own right. Our guest, Lewis Parsons, uses the power of art to inspire people and organizations to co-create a world of deeper harmony and success. He passionately believes there is an emerging art movement, which he terms the soul renaissance. Through his talks, workshops, and art, Parsons unlocks our ability to see the unique symphony of light that resides inside all of us. He brings simplicity and clarity to empower his audience to find greater energy in their lives. Lewis's art commissions can be found all over the world, including with celebrities, world-class surfing athletes, and leading-edge philosophers such as Karen Brady, Tom Curran, and Ken Wilber. For the last six years, he has been the guest artist for the Four Seasons Kuda Hura Maldives and Four Seasons Serengeti. One of his favorite achievements is having one of his artwork pieces auctioned for charity, raising 120,000 pounds. When he isn't painting, Lewis loves to surf and scuba dive, seeking the inspiration from all the color and vibrancy in the waves. He lives in Cheltenham, UK, at the foot of the Cotswold Hills with his beautiful wife and family. Lewis, welcome to the Voice of Leadership and to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. I am so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, it is such a delight. I know that you specialize in art with soul and your artwork is absolutely beautiful. So before we go any further, we want to give the community out there a little taste of the kind of work that you do. And we're going to look at three pieces and a bit of show and tell. So are you ready for that? I'm up for that. All right, so let's look at the first work of art, which is called Realization of a New Beginning. And I know that some of you are listening on an audio format. You may not be able to see this for today's show. You may even want to go and listen to the YouTube version or even the television version of the show. However, 
We haven't forgotten you, so we're going to describe these pieces very well. And later on, you can go to lewisparsons.com and see them on Lewis's website as well. So, Lewis, tell us about this first piece, Realization of a New Beginning. For those of you who can see it, I'd really invite you just to spend 10 seconds of just silent breath, just really taking in the piece and the reason I say that, I think it's really important in this world to use the power of our attention to open up what's right in front of us. And so uh, I'll describe the artwork in just a moment. But for those of you who can, I just really invite you now just to take a few breaths and really look at the work and see what emerges for you as you look at the work. And I wonder, Karen, for you, is there anything that emerges for you as you look at this? Well, first, let me say this. As I'm looking at it, I'm seeing a number of hues of blue and green. And I see a person, a figure sort of coming out from the middle of the page and from the back. And all of those colors are surrounding them. It's almost as if the person is emerging out of a watery cave of sorts. So it's Mm -hmm. like there's water on the bottom and it's like there's a cascade of water all around them with the green and blue hues is what I'm seeing when I look at the piece. Yeah, beautiful. No, thank you. So, And you've described it beautifully. And the thing is, you can have four or five people all looking at the same artwork and, of course, describing completely different aspects of the work. You know, is the figure moving towards us? Is the figure moving away? You know, is that ice they're in? Is that flowing water? And that's partly what I love about creating art for people. I try. My attempt is to create a piece of art that will take you on an imaginal journey into the deeper recesses of who we are. And this particular piece with its sense of, of flow and, and the figures almost looking like it's it's walking on water is often kind of how I feel when, you know, living as an artist and creating work as an artist feels very much sometimes like walking on water. You, you, all you have is the next step you know, the next step in front of you to take, which then seems to open up another world of possibility. And that power of creativity is something that suspends us. And one of the intentions in this piece is that actually it's that first invitation to really go just a little bit deeper into ourselves. And I painted this at a time when I was going through a big transition in my life and things were actually getting quite tough, quite hard. And uh, I saw this half completed painting on the floor and in the midst of all that challenge I finished the painting I finished it in about 20 minutes and one of the last things I did was actually put the figure in and the moment I finished that just there was like this burst of light and purpose inside me which was just so exciting and it really did feel like the the realization of a new beginning and it seems like many people really resonate with this particular piece. Well, you know what, Lewis, let me add another component to what I'm seeing in this. When I think about new beginnings and a person walking on water, when you are beginning anything new, it can be a little bit scary, a little bit Mm. uncertain. And walking on water is certainly that kind of experience, which really requires faith. And it takes me back to when Jesus was walking on the water. And then Peter said, you know, bid me come out to the water Also, and Peter starts walking on the water, and as long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was fine. But as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus and started being concerned about the waves and all of that, he started to sink. And so when I think about us 
you know, starting a new beginning and emerging out of this and walking on the water, how important it is to keep mm. our focus grounded in that sense. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, faith is a big part of this. I love that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things yet seen. So that I actually wonder whether there's an aspect of that where faith is really about a, a vision of, of seeing something beyond yourself, beyond the unknown. And that actually that's part of the substance that then enables us to take these steps and so often we don't have that faith, that confidence, and so we stay contained in that unknown realm. And it's scary. And yet it's not scary when you see the vision of whether that's the imaginal realm, whether it's a world of light that you know that's there, whether it's faith in something you know that's right to do. That is often enough to help us to take that next step into that unknown. And that's how you know the world then opens up around us. And that's wonderful because as you're indicating, as we take the steps, we see more. So it kind of yeah. opens up, you know, in, in front of us. So we see more. So that's fantastic. So this is a beautiful piece. And so I love it. And I hope that other people will love it also. And so let's go to the next one, Lewis. And the, mm. the next one is called Caught in the Flow of Grace. And it's the third episode of Caught in the Flow of Grace. And so this one is a little bit different than what we just saw in the last scene. Yeah, that's right. I often paint in either sequences or a series. And it's often because there's there's a movement, there's a sense of change that I'm wanting to convey in a sequence of paintings, which of course is in a in a two-dimensional form. You know, this is not like in a world of virtual reality and everything being animated and incredible films that are really building that world for us, the power of a um, of a single two-dimensional form to, to then put our imagination into is all the more astonishing because anyone who does engage in this artwork, uh, who really pays attention to it, whatever we pay attention to flourishes. And it's really flourishing something inside us. And so, you know, that that says a lot about, you know, if you're drawn to a particular set of colours like blues don't suit everyone, sometimes red, you're nodding red, as I say that. And I know you were particularly drawn to this piece. So I'm I'm really intrigued. What what is it that you see in this piece? Well, first let me describe it a little bit and paint a paint a picture of the painting. So mm, mm. what I see in the lower half of the painting, some deep colors in fuchsia some reds, some purples. So it is a more fiery image in many respects than the calm emerging out of the blues that we saw in the last painting. And in the middle, I see a lot of light in the middle, the bottom part. And almost hmm. imagine if you could just see a piece of heaven open up and see the light from heaven in between sort of the fuchsia and red components on either side. And if you go further up the piece, the colors become lighter. So you get into a lighter pink, a little more mauve, and some other colors like that. And then there's sort of an ethereal figure up there, kind of like floating around in the um, heavenly piece. And when I was thinking about the name of it, caught in the flow of grace, and I think in the word grace, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense, and the reds and the fuchsias make me think of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And mm -hmm how that in essence is a foundation 
and it is a place for us to emerge out of to mm. become all that we're called to be so that we can fly a little higher and wow. even fly above the flames in many mm. respects. And yet the flames are also fueling us and there's something about the warmth of that as well. Right. Wow. Again, I just love your description of it. I could listen to that all day long. And this, this is partly why I love this so much. So, you know, I'll, I'll open this up to a room of people sometimes, and, and that's the first thing I'll do at a private view. You know, the average work of art worldwide gets around seven seconds attention. That's an old statistic. That's pre-social media statistics. So even if you're looking at an image for more than, I'd say, 0.7 seconds now, you're already starting to engage the facets of your imagination. And, and so, you know, I just love how you describe that. And and so the, the, the sequence of Court in the Flow of the Grace really, especially two and three, describe both the masculine and the feminine expressions of what does it mean to have that grace flowing through you, to be caught in those currents of grace. There are these precious moments in life where we feel carried, you know, whether that's upwards and sometimes too, it's also being aware of those dark and hard and those areas and places in life where we've suffered too. It's often in those dark and hard areas that, that grace emerges in the deepest and most powerful ways of flowering. And, and that, in a sense, is how you know we start, as you say, so beautifully to, to rise out of that. Grace has to have those elements in it. It has to have the element of suffering, being able to overcome suffering, and, and to know that there's a light that can carry us through that suffering. And and so that's what, what caught the flow of grace is really all about. Yeah, thank you for your thoughts. Well, on that. that's really powerful because it also is suggesting and saying that the suffering that you're talking about, it's also the canvas and the fuel for what we paint for the rest of our lives. In other words, a lot of times people want to put suffering on the side or don't see where it fits in or leave it behind, but it's it's very much a part of the experience. It's very mm. much a part of the growth and the building and the going forward, which reminds me when I did your intro at the beginning and talked about that word impasto, it really speaks of the painting that is kind of like an almost, it's a raised part of the painting. And as I'm looking at this, I can see some places where the paint's been built up and it's been raised so that if a person was to touch it, they could mm. feel the three-dimensional aspect because everything we go through is leaving its mark, so to speak. Mm. Mm. And it's leaving a signature behind that's also important. And so I see that very clearly in this painting as well. Mm. Mm. No, thank you. And there are many, many gorgeous ways uh if you like infusions and overlaps of the creative process and creating a piece of art and our lives how we consider our lives you know that they're not just these happenstance meaningless insignificant specks of fluff in a huge empty cosmos but actually quite the opposite there's such meaning and significance and even the smallest actions you know one of the things i share in, in certainly beginning to paint with people it's one of the things i've realized when i create a painting is I, I'll purposefully throw paint onto a canvas and let it stain the textures in different ways because it does a few things. One, you immediately, it's almost like a baptism, like you're committing the work over and it means I'm kind of in control, but actually I'm totally out of control. I'm engaging the elements, you're engaging elements in nature. There's drying forces happening. There's 
there's currents and flows of paint which actually end up creating a painting that would be impossible for me to just sit and try and create with a tiny brush and there's an openness then to realizing that there's really no such thing as a mistake you enjoy this flow of happy accidents that take you from moment to moment and it's you learn so much when you create that way you know and i genuinely you know i end up looking at artwork and going wow that's really nice because <laughs> it feels as though you're being created through right yeah. you're there's this almost this trifecta of the creator the creativity and creation and to partake and be part of that process is just so enlivening and hopefully these you know artifacts if like these artworks that i'm creating you know will try and carry the wave of some of that transmission to keep reminding us that that's why we're here right is to is to ride these waves of uh, the ups and downs of life to say the least even the broken parts of life into the gorgeous parts of life too and everything in between yes and the way i would put it god uses it all and i think it's great that you talk about riding the waves because that leads us a little bit into the third piece or at least my interpretation of it so mm. <laughs> in the third piece we have the human story and this is nine in the series and it's the world as symphony so tell us a little bit about that one so this is yeah the ninth painting in a series of 10 paintings and uh they're quite a thing to have created uh, it, just a tiny bit of background. So this painting in itself is, let's say it's a meter 80 by meter 80. So around six feet by six feet, that kind of size. And the painting before it, uh, human story seven self as instrument, that's uh, just a few inches smaller in diameter and then the next one's a few inches smaller and then the next one's a few inches smaller so there are a sequence of paintings that increase in size and there's one after this too which is bigger again they and they've ended up finding their home in a place called francis close hall which is uh, a chapel in the um, cheltenham university not far from here and there were these 10 open spaces in this chapel which now have these you know in there and what I love about that is each one is then inviting you to look at the world in a different way. And each one is like the layer of an onion. And I wanted us to look at this one because for me, this is one of the most hopeful and incredible and inspiring pieces of the lot. Again, I'd, I'd love to hear your take on it first, because I know you, you have some sense of what it might be. Well, as I'm looking at it, and I'm going to describe it a little bit, what I see is an impressionistic view of the world. So you have the earth uh, mm. sort of painted here in blues and greens again, and a little bit of brown and some other colors, but mostly blues and greens. And it's in a swirl. So if you could imagine seeing the earth in an ethereal kind of a swirl pattern and then there's a figure on there a human looking figure and what it looks like it looks like the person is on some kind of skis like i imagine in my mind like jet skis and they're on the water and they're sailing around the earth in some <laughs> kind of sense and so that's what i see when i look at this and it's like they're on a journey and it's a mm. moving journey and water is a part of it. And remember the earth is mostly water anyway. So mm. that kind of makes sense too. Right. Wow. No, thank you. Yeah. And some people sometimes connect this to the surfing too, 
Yeah, thank you for that. Again, the, the sense of movement and the flow and and really to, you know, I'd love to take every single one of you to the chapel and to see each piece in sequence. In fact, I mean, you can see each piece in sequence on the website. I'd really, really invite you to do that because the first piece talks about the Big Bang, the very first, you know, act of creation. The second piece then talks about how that spark of life is uh, contained in an embryonic form. And then the third piece moves us into the sense of development of the ego and the power of expression and so on and so forth. The expression of family and tribes, you know, and it's really attempting to describe, if you like, the soulscape of humanity. And they're inspired very heavily from conversations with Ken Wilbur and all the models and levels of development that are available to us, which describe that we have levels of possibility inside us. And those earlier, deeper, primal levels are just about pure survival. And then some of those later levels are then more about, well, how do we express all of that power and energy inside us? And, you know, the, the, the seventh piece in describes, well, this is where we are now. Right. This is like we've seen the world from outer space, but we're in this transition point between bliss and suffering and, and where, which way is the world going to go? And I'm a, I like to think I'm an informed, enthusiastic optimist. And so, you know, there is a point in which where we really genuinely, so many more people now, partly through crisis and partly just through inner revelation, are genuinely starting to see the world in a whole new way that makes sense of all of those previous layers of being we've never had an opportunity as a human to explore what we have created and developed over the vast span of history it's just such a unique time in life and so this piece describes that well what if we could see each other as notes in one another's symphony what if we could actually really engage and see the world as a symphony of light and you know, rather than it being meaningless, that actually every time we engage in an act of love, in, a, in an act of kindness, in an act of heartfelt, authentic creativity, that actually has a ripple effect throughout the whole system. And it's certainly something that, that I've experienced many, many times now in very different settings. But it's one of my favorite pieces, this one. And so, you know, the larger figure is almost the engagement of all of those previous levels that are inside us. And, and every time there's a figure in a painting, I invite you to kind of consider what would it be like to take the posture of that figure? So it's like holding up a mirror to your own life, but it's also like a, a portal, if you like, a journey into that actual aspect of the world. So, you know, we can consider we're not only physical. In fact, we're probably primarily way more than a physical body. You know, we just happen to have these physical bodies as to be vehicles for our greater and higher selves, have you described those to be? You know, I'm so glad you explained the symphony part. And of course, because it's a series of 10 different paintings, and I love what you said about each of us could be the note in someone else's symphony. Because when you think about music, there are a finite number of notes, if you will, but those that finite number creates an infinite number of symphonies and other kinds of compositions. And let's say if I'm a note that is, I'll say a B flat or whatever, I can be part of many different pieces of music. And that's true for all of us. And so I love that, that the generosity of it and the creativity of participating in so many different scapes, if you will. 
And I love the fact that there's a growing component. We become more expansive as we grow on this journey, you know, in this life. So that's actually quite meaningful and beautiful. So thank you for explaining that a little further. That's <laughs> <laughs> so wonderful. So I'm going to say to people, listen, again, go to lewisparsons.com. I'm going to name a few pieces that I really like that we didn't have time to go over. Look at these when you get there. Some other ones, Riding the Wings of Dawn, Before Silence, The Sound of Many Waters, The Next Step. And then there's one under alchemy that's called Fire and Water. It's essentially the same painting, except one is in red tones, one is in blue tones. And I could almost imagine that hanging in my house where the fire represents me and the blue represents my husband. I'm kind of a fire sign. He's a water sign. We're sort of opposites. And yet there's a similarity of purpose and values that connects us together, even though we're different. So that's how I saw that one, even though we're not seeing it. So <laughs> I see it in my mind's eye. <laughs> So thank you so much, Lewis, for the inspiration and what you've been sharing with us. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you make that personal connection to it because that's, you know, the first aspect of this is is being able to to see yourself in, in these. And, and it just nudges you into that receptive insight, being able to see your husband one way and you another way. It's one of the things I love when I'm soulscaping is actually to, to consider, well, what are these inner aspects? How can we join them together? And there's actually a combined piece called fire and water, which is what happens when you bring fire and water together. And there's, you know, the the reason they're called the alchemy collection is because, you know, when you when you bring these different elements together, there's, a, there's always an extra element that emerges that we're excited by. So... Oh, wonderful. I have to go back and look for that one. Mm. <laughs> I created my own fire and water togetherness. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, you can paint it yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been talking about so many concepts. I want to unpack a few of them. Mm. I mentioned that you are painting with painting art with soul. So specifically, what does soul mean to you? You remember the United States and as an African-American person, we think of soul that has a certain connotation that is rooted in the Black American experience, mm, for example. Mm, and mm. then from a Christian perspective, soul has a uh, concept and meaning as well. So what does soul mean to you? So in a way, we've already touched into it. For me, the, the easiest way to describe the soul is, is as a unique symphony of light. Really, it's a unique symphony of light and shadow. Mm. And... I've spent probably the greater part of my life trying to describe these aspects in terms of we each have, if you like, soul notes. There are certain things that we do that really light us up and they're like unique aspects of our being that when we find our middle C in that, when we when we strike a certain center point in these things that we do that light us up, it engages a larger aspect of being, which I describe as the soul chords. They're patterns of life, fractal patterns of life that you know, when you see them, they're everywhere, you know, like spiraling and branching and sensing. But actually, soul chords, of course, they, they would expand further than just the physical realm there. The physical realm just describes them in, in, in matter, but they, they extend beyond that. And ultimately, all of those patterns lead us into the heart of love, into the heart of the divine. It's almost like it's our unique energy signature, which is a unique combination of these soul notes and chords 
which we kind of know those special moments that really light us up there you know that they happen in such different ways for each one of us but it could be for some of us when we're expressing gift of communication or our gift of care or our gift of integrating other people's harder experiences or whatever form it might take there are certain things we do it's almost like we feel born to do and as we engage with those or it might be environments as well often it is there are certain environments that really really light us up like i love the water you know but it's not just the water it's you know it's the whole thing of engaging with the water at certain times of day and you know it just fills me with energy and so those are this often the questions i ask you know when i'm trying to describe a soulscape for someone's own life like but often it comes down to those patterns and expressions of being where we're in certain places in nature doing a certain something which just lights us up you know i love the way that you talked about the notes again and then onto the chords because notes are singular and yet when they're combined they're chords of music and chords of of vibration if you will and energy and light together and we can create music together you know mm. uh, it, from that concept so that's really beautiful what you're talking about and you've also been alluding to soulscaping and i know that's an important part of your work so tell us a little bit about what soulscaping is and what's a soulscape so a soulscape is a, a work of art that really captures that moment that lights you up the most. If you like, it's it's both, uh, once again, it's, it's like a gateway, a piece of all on canvas work, which I've created having spent time with you. So I don't just kind of pull this out of thin air, although I do, I do a little bit, but it's like, I will ask you, you know, imagine you had the perfect work of art and it utterly lit you up what would you want to experience in that painting and that's the only question i know and then beyond that you know the the questions come and flow from the conversation and so you get to hear these incredible i've had the joy and honor of doing this for 15 20 years in some incredible places in the world met incredible people met challenging people and found out they're incredible people and you know it's amazing what happens on the inside of us and it's so rarely shared and celebrated in, in a way such as this, I suppose. And, you know, I, I used to walk into galleries when I was younger and look at the paintings and just go, these just aren't doing it for me. You know, why are they not doing it for me? And this little voice kind of said, well, how many people do you think are walking into galleries looking for that just right work of art and walking out again? Why don't you just ask them, what do you want to experience? And that just brought together a whole load of things for me. I'm, I'm genuinely fascinated by that spark of life that's inside of us anyway. But then to combine that with, you know, the, the, the love and joy of creating and being able to access something higher and beyond ourselves, those three things together just make it a real joy. So um, the aim of that then is that all of it comes together and you have this painting that will just keep bringing you back to those most important and central, truly valuable things to you. And often, you know, they take the form of what well, some of the work you've seen, but they're personalized. It can be for an individual. It can be for a couple, for a family. You've already mentioned, you know, what happens if you've got two people? Well, actually, you know, we are notes in one another's symphonies. I say at, this exp at the most expanded level and on our best days, obviously on our worst days, we just bump up against one another and 
tell one another what we really think about them. But that's the shadow aspect as well. And we've got to be honest about that. So, you know, hence, you know, if there are challenges that need to be overcome, they can be talked about too. And, and sometimes they can form aspects of the artwork. What's really great about what you're saying is, you know, you can go in a gallery and that artwork is maybe created for someone else. You're talking about customizing pieces that are designed for that person and their experience. And it makes me think of customer experience in general, like in a business sense. It's one thing to have customer service. Let's say you deliver a painting on time, you deliver the commission thing, whatever they say. But the experience part is how the person feels when they are engaging with the artwork. And because you've created it for them, they're mm. going to be much more engaged than if it was just a random piece of art in the gallery. So mm. this is very personal that you do and you make it custom. I want to ask you another component. Not only do you create custom work for others, you also show people how to create their own soulscape and their own artwork, even though they aren't artists. So tell us how you do that, because that's very challenging, I'm sure, in some ways. Yeah, it, it is and isn't. And, and and just to kind of suggest from the, the thought of custom is interesting, because custom might suggest, you know, you can have this car and this color, you can have these wheels and you can have this kind of inlay. And what's kind of interesting is artists in general, I think, musicians too, poets maybe, are in a quite a unique position in that if you over customize for someone else, something gets lost, right? If you can somehow create something from your perspective that almost takes them beyond what they expect to see. And so the moment we get into things like, oh, can we add a bit of green to match my curtains and stuff? I kind of have to point people towards say Ikea <laughs> or a print company, which, you know, there's plenty of ways just to get colors to match your, but I've genuinely had people redecorate, have a whole makeover check because they had an insight about, you know, the way they see themselves in terms of color. And often the best pieces are the ones where I'm painting it for that person, but I'm also weirdly painting it for me and for something beyond both of us. Like it's like it lights up all of those aspects together. They're definitely my best pieces. It's such a subtle thing. You have to stay true to that authentic creativity and it brings so much more delight to the person than when you, you know, could potentially just customize to try and cater or placate. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it really shows that there's something that the recipient is bringing to the table. However, you're bringing something as well. And if we take that part out, the work is not as powerful because it's really a co-creation that you're really coming up with. And it has to emerge in a lot of ways from a spiritual sense. We can't just, I'll say, look at God and tell, oh, I want it done like this. This is how it goes. He shows us how it goes. Then that's yeah. what I'm hearing you say. You're putting both of your talents, gifts, energies, perspectives together so that it goes beyond. Yeah, and that way you can step into the unknown together, right? Because it can yes. feel risky. Wow, you're yes. commissioning someone you don't really know, let's face it. And yet weirdly, you know, after half an hour, we can feel like we've known each other for, for decades. And it, because there's that level of connection, and from that place you can, what from that place of connection, you can step into the unknown together. And those are my favorite, favorite 
pieces, without a doubt. Have you ever heard of the Johari window? I have heard of the Johari window, but I can't immediately remember what it is. That's okay, because in the Johari window, there are aspects of a person that they know about themselves, that other mm. people know about them. There are aspects that other people know about you, you don't know about yourself or whatever, and it's all this stuff. But then there's a piece of it that's called the unknown. Mm. And when you look at the whole thing, because you're bringing what you do know, and the mm. other person is bringing what they know, and you put it together, it opens up the sphere of creativity to the unknown component. And that's where the power is. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Right. Wow. Yeah. And that beautifully kind of leads into the the thought of, you know, well, what does it mean to create your own soulscape? So, so really, and, and typically this is done with um, leadership teams, board members, or within varying size of companies, then over lockdown and, and since 2020, that then obviously all went online. And that was incredible. I was able to run and continue to run soulscaping circles online with people that want to show up on a regular basis and really commit to some. It's really like kind of taking your soul to the gym. And you don't need a creative bone. I, I would say you don't need an artistic bone in your body to do any part of the soulscaping process. But you may find one or two artistic bones because we're all creative, right? Worry is a form of creativity. You have a picture in your mind, you pour your energy into it, and you're creating a result, a physiological result. We're natural born creators. So we've already engaged the power of our attention by looking at a piece of artwork that engages our the, the power of our imagination, which then you know really needs to extend its wings, right? There's so much anxiety around at the moment because our imaginations are locked into a very tight sphere of knowing and attached to the material in such a big way that we don't see a way out of our current predicaments. And that's a very gross generalization. Many people do see a way out, but like the center of gravity of that is moving upwards and outwards into seeing new um, ways of, of being and knowing. And so in soulscaping sessions, I invite you to think about a time when you feel truly alive. You know, with those moments that light you up, we go into a short, what I call an imaginal process together. So it takes us beyond you know, worry and fantasy, but actually the imaginal is a, it's a subtle place, which is, is real. It's objectively real. And we carry aspects of that world inside us. And they showed up in our lives in those moments where moments seem brighter and clearer and more alive to actually take two minutes to consider those moments when you feel truly alive in itself is remarkable. You've got these People in a room, they probably haven't created since they're five years old, many of them. So they'll think about that moment. We're imagining together. I'll get them to write it down. We share it with one another as well. So actually verbalizing that is all part of creativity. And in fact, even just doing that, I invite anyone watching this, hearing this, to set, consider a time when you feel truly alive. And just imagine it. There's a an audio that you can get like from my website which helps you just go a little deeper into what that moment would be and then you write it down we share it with one another but then the step beyond that and the bit that people would potentially i mean it's amazing some of these people they're running you know million dollar businesses they can hire and fire they are courageous you know stunningly uh confident in many ways but show them a blank canvas 
and the bottom drops out of their world and it takes them back to school and that probably that teacher that said that's terrible you should or you got a low mark for that or it brings up that stuff right the reason for that is because our, our creativity is just such a vulnerable aspect of our soul and often many of us have had these hard knocks to it and then we decided we weren't creative anymore right so i just use paint it's a byproduct of us accessing our creativity thinking about that moment sharing it and then all i say is look it's impossible for you to make a mistake now and i'll show people how to paint in about two minutes literally get a, a cloth some paint and a canvas two minutes five minutes i say it's two minutes that it often becomes more than that because because people at that point are engaged they want to just get this thing out of them there's something so cathartic about expressing when you feel truly alive that you forget about what it's going to look you don't have to care what it looks like because you're creating this for you not for anyone else that's why it's impossible for you not to make a mistake and honestly the artwork that comes out of those sessions my jaw drops nearly every time people offer to buy one another's paintings sometimes and they're like i mean it doesn't happen all the time that's not the aim of it right you know i'm talking about 20 percent of people but even the ones where you, there's just something precious happens and you know people go home and they share what this artwork was with their family and the ripple effects of that as well have just been fantastic and i did a, a large piece of work with microsoft one of the times where we had 230 work facing engineers all creating their unique aspect of well what is it that lights me up about my life and talking about it and then connecting it with the vision of the company and actually having a part and a, a place to say this is what we feel the vision of the company should be based around us that was awesome you know with an actual a it was extraordinary but it's not really about that for me it's it's a lot more about if we can develop a personal creative practice many people probably have a, a mindful practice or a prayerful practice you know even in some of the christian traditions you have contemplation and lectio divina which often isn't carried across to some of the main traditions but nearly every religious tradition has some aspect of deep contemplation but what strikes me is there's not often a creative expression of that and so i invite people to enter into deeper states of being however that could be and create from that place so you know use soulscaping alongside your existing spiritual practice because to to capture and document these different aspects of your unique symphony is quite incredible and i'm working on my own the whole time i mean i'm working in pencil at the moment so you know i have this constant cycle of artwork that comes out of my own experiences that i'm still i've been given it's just a great way to really in a grounded and practical and physical way explore the deeper dimensions of your being this is fantastic and i want to even move a little bit more on the business side because you talked about once people unfetter themselves, they find hmm. that their creativity is there and it comes out and they can express themselves. And you gave that example from Microsoft. What is the role of creativity in leadership? How does that work? Why do we need it in organizations and in businesses? This is also why I would invite people to look at the human story sequence, because the one common thread through that is every step of the way 
humanity, nature, ecology, you know, even at the atomic level, we're thrown curveball after curveball after curveball. We're brought up to the edge of the unknown all the time. And if that is not the sign of the times right now that we are being brought right up to the edge of the unknown in all of the aspects of, you know, how do you lead when there are so many moving parts, when there's so much volatility, when there's so many aspects that are changing all the time? And the answer, quite simply, is it's always our creativity. It's always been the tool, if you like, of humanity to overcome those edges of the unknown, always. And the reason for that is because it's it's our home. It's what we were founded from. It's what, it's what we've been generated from. It's the fulcrum of evolution itself, that actually there's always this third way to polar up as it seems to fight one another and this third aspect emerges that kind of seems to jump out of thin air and and so as a leader for us to to embrace that as well as we can doesn't necessarily make it less scary but the the, the scary energy has a place to go and it can actually become quite exhilarating you know it can feel a little bit like surfing i think sometimes you if you learn to surf you can master the the power zones in the top of the wave and the bottom of the wave and use both of them to make the most of that experience. And, and so creativity is in itself, it's a waveform, right? Once we engage that waveform, possibilities that are right in front of our faces suddenly seem to open up. And then it's just having the consistent courage to collectively pursue those experiences and create from them. And ultimately it's what makes the world a better place, I believe. So. Well, and it's certainly true that we're at this time in our leadership history and the world where creativity is really needed because no one knows how to navigate the waters that are in front of us at the moment. And it's going to take all of our notes together, creating that symphony so that we get to places that we can't even see right now and that we cannot even imagine. So I certainly see the role of creativity in leadership because it's not a straight line function in these days. If you mm -hmm. really want to be relevant, if you really want to have some staying power, you've got to go beyond you know what you can see yourself mm, so that it's mm. a collective seeing and using all the wisdom and gifts of everyone in the organization so that's what i see the opportunity for in what right. you're doing yeah and i think this particularly plays out in the in the realm of technology at the moment like every single phase in human existence that we've needed a breakthrough. It's, it's nearly always been at, at one level, it's been a technological breakthrough, you know, whether that's the birth of language, then the birth of writing, you know, whether it's the birth of a, a, an instrument that enables us to navigate the spheres, you know, but each one of those has come through a paradigm shift and belief shift. They happen simultaneously. <laughs> There's enough resources in the world right now, apparently to be redistributed equally amongst everyone and to avoid, for example, but also, you know, there's almost certainly enough resources and genius to face every single challenge we have. But to only rely on the technological breakthrough is a mistake. It has to combine with that meaning, that personal shift from knowing that you are an individual being to a collective being and to ultimately a being that, that's connected deeply with this planet without sounding like crazy. But to acknowledge all of those aspects and beyond that to access that you know to know that we're a divine being 
synthesizing that with technology is gorgeous. We're, we're instruments of, of consciousness in that way. Just like uh, an artist needs a technology to create a painting. I, I love this. It's a very simple, if you like, um, soul plus technology equals art. Soul plus technology equals art. Do we want to make art? We can, because we could collectively take our challenges and turn them into art, but it's got to take both of those aspects synthesized together. I think that's an important concept because I think a lot of times in organizations with the tech explosion, people forget mm. the heart and soul part. So to put the soul in with the technology actually makes the technology more effective and more relevant, more usable for people. Because as you said, as people, we are divine and we are creative. So you've got to feed that part of the person as well. And so that's a nice marrying of those two concepts. So Lewis, we are hastening towards a close here. And I want to ask you just briefly, briefly to describe one of your projects where you did a project for a Christian company where you painted the seven stages of transformation. Could you briefly describe that? Yeah, so it actually came about from, I, I, I've been traveling for a couple of years, came back to England and uh, this company said, oh, what, what have you been up to? And I'd already created a series of seven sketches in my journals and I showed them to them and just said, this is something I've been up to. It was, it was reflective of my own personal journey. And ultimately, those seven sketches became the human story collection. They were like my first bit of, well, this is what I feel transformation is. And they saw the seven sketches and they just said, well, we do a seven stage course all about transformation. And we want you to paint these for us. And I got my first commission, my first corporate commission, if you like. Um, so I was astonished by that. And in fact, I've always just taken the next step that's in front of me. And never really known what's beyond that. But that single step then brought this world of coaching, personality typing, and creativity and everything to my forefront and, and helped me to see what, what soulscaping is today. So, but to be able to watch and read those gorgeous divine coincidences are one of the most important things. And I believe those, you know, paintings are still with the company and they, they still use them in, in lots of different ways. I think it's really wonderful for companies to think about what would it be like? We are used to thinking about having a mission statement, a vision statement. What if you had a vision statement that really was a painting that, that captured something about the heart and soul of the business and how mm -hmm. powerful that would be? So I hope some people will call you about that. And in fact, let people know how can they get in touch with you, Lewis? What's the best way? So the best way is just via the website, lewisparsons.com. And actually one of my favorite vision statements I ever did, someone just said they look at that across the room and it just cuts through all the noise. You know, they just get to see their, their vision straight away. But yeah, I, I believe that's actually on the website at lewisparsons.com. Okay, fantastic. So go to lewisparsons.com to hear more and see more. So what additional, because you've been sharing lots of words of wisdom. So what additional words of wisdom would you like to share with my community of executive business leaders? I think the simplest one is to really consider what is it that lights you up? Just to really pay attention to those moments in time 
that really, really light you up. And to just begin to architect your life around those moments, because that's what we're all here for, really, isn't it? To experience more and more of those things that make us feel truly alive. That's so important, Lewis. Thank you, because so often I find people focusing on what's bringing them down rather than what lights them up, and therefore they miss the opportunity to soar in the way that they could soar if they were focusing in a different way. So I appreciate the fact that you remind people, look at what lights you up. That's the ticket to move further, to move further along on the pathway and to help other people go there with you as well. Yeah, thank you. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your beautiful artwork uh, with us. I really appreciate it. And I know that others are going to appreciate it when they can go to your website and also take a look or if if they commissioned you for some paintings. So, (laughs) So all of that. So as we're wrapping up today, I really want to remind everyone, we've been talking about beauty. We've been talking about creativity. We've been talking about art. And I'd say that God is the greatest artist there is and creator. You look out at the sky every morning and you see the sunrise. Every evening you see the sunset and every day he's painting a different canvas, each one more beautiful than the one before and certainly different. It's never exactly the same sky. And when I think back to when Solomon was building the temple for God, the temple The details were so profound and so beautiful to the linens, the tapestries, the wood, the cedar wood, the brass, the gold, and everything. This is so much we can't even cover it in the amount of time we have remaining. However, I do want to share a few verses that talk a little bit about the gold in the temple because that gold is representing God. And God is greater than the gold. It's just what's the greatest thing we had here on earth to represent him. So I'm looking at 1 Kings, the sixth chapter, starting with verse 19. And it says, and he prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the ark of the covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. He overlaid it with pure gold and overlaid the altar of cedar. So Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. He stretched gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. The whole temple he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the temple. Also, he overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. Then I'm going to drop down to verse 28 where it says, And he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Then he carved all the walls of the temple all around. Both the inner and outer sanctuaries were carved figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. And the floor of the temple he overlaid with gold, both the inner and outer sanctuaries. So that by the time he gets to 1 Kings 8 and 13, he says, I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell forever. So just know, when we are into our art and the life force within us, the light, we are most like God, who is the ultimate creator. Terrence Chapman is the president and CEO of Victoria's Family, an organization committed to family discipleship and transformation. Today, 
He's here to talk about a special celebration event taking place on the 19th of April. Terrence, tell us all about it. So good to be here. You know, do you think the family is in crisis? Well, on April the 19th, at the World of Coca-Cola here in Atlanta, Georgia, we're offering a very distinct experience, dinner and gala. We're going to have great speakers, great entertainment, great celebrities will be there. But more importantly, we'll be casting the vision around family transformation and what it could look like in your home. Join us April 19th at the World of Coca-Cola here in Atlanta, Georgia. And what's great, Terrence, about what you're saying, this is for all of us, those of us in business, those of us in pastoral leadership, those of us in family leadership, you want all of us there. All of those who have a family or part of a family, you're invited. All right. So give us the website information where people can go to sign up. Go to victoriousfamily.org slash take the next step. Excellent. See you there. See you there. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.